0: I'm speaking to you today from the Roosevelt, the Treaty Room, and the White House.
1: On April 14th, 2021, American news networks interrupted their programming to broadcast an address from President Biden about Afghanistan.
0: I've concluded that it's time to end America's longest war. It's time for American troops to come home.
1: Over the next four months, Biden followed up on this promise, withdrawing thousands of troops from Afghanistan, Provinces across the country began to fall, one by one. And by the end of August, a single story dominated news headlines. The Taliban had taken over.
2: As the Taliban move into Kabul, Western countries are moving out. It's hard to put into words how desperate this is.
1: Among the people who remained in Afghanistan were the employees of Voice of America and Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty, both news organizations funded by the United States government, with a mission to report the news, represent American ideals and exemplify a free press abroad.
3: My name is Malali Bashir.
1: That's the senior editor for Radio Azadi, the Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty station broadcasting into Afghanistan.
3: Uh, I have been with the Radio Azadi for almost 10 years, covering uh, Afghanistan from inside the country.
1: Malali wrote for international outlets, including the BBC and foreign policy, until she found a home at Radio Azadi.
3: The mission is actually what I believe in, which is democratic values, freedom of speech, bringing to light the stories of women, their voices, giving them a space to express their opinion, uh, talk about their issues, and find solutions.
1: And when the Taliban took control and attacked women's rights, Malali recommitted herself to that mission.
3: When Afghan girls were banned from going to school, uh, we started this program called Education Hour. We are airing uh, the material from school, producing these programs, which are basically online classes, but through radio. We also have a feature program, uh, which talks about the daily struggles women face. And uh, we have call-in shows uh, for women. One call-in show is called Breaking Silence, which is about the taboo topics not discussed um, in Afghanistan. Topics like puberty. Girls who are calling us the agony in their voice uh, teachers on our call-in shows, they have cried, uh, wept. They are emotional the whole time when they talk about how their lives are restricted by the Taliban.
1: On the face of it, Malali is just another journalist operating in an environment that is hostile to members of the press, except for the fact that her salary is funded by Congress. And that she's on a mission, not just to report the truth, but to spread American values in a country that's been fighting over ideals for decades. In order to understand what's going on today in Afghanistan. We have to return to the origin story of Voice of America and Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty.
4: One could go back, I think, as far as Napoleon and the Napoleonic Empire.
1: That's Victoria de Grazia. She's a longtime history professor at Columbia who studies how people gain and use power.
4: Sometimes they talked about Napoleonic propaganda. So those terms are already being used.
1: Fast forward a hundred years. During World War I, President Woodrow Wilson pressed the gas on American propaganda at home and abroad. He set up a committee that placed thousands of pro-war articles in newspapers.
4: And so the United States comes out of World War One with some very advanced ideas about how to influence people.
1: These ideas continue to be refined in the next decade.
4: And then coming out of the war, there's all of the growth of psychology and advertising, bringing in you know, Europeans like Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays, who does all of this work on psychology and persuasion.
5: Edward L. Bernays, you're the father of public relations. What led you to see the
1: need for public relations?
4: I was a member of the United States Committee on Public Information. And I found that ideas were weapons and were even more effective than bullets.
1: Social scientists, inspired by Bernays, started working with the government during the next World War.
4: They're coming in to say, you know, what is propaganda? It's very important, clearly, for democracy. How do you persuade the masses the right way to go or the wrong way to go? By
1: the start of World War II, the Nazis and the Soviets were each blasting propaganda campaigns via shortwave radio into millions of households in Germany, the USSR, and across Europe.
4: Getting to the period of the Nazis and the fascists, from the very get-go, they're saying that we have to get the message out. So propaganda, very loud appeals with posters, and then the radio... It's electoral campaigning. It's starting to bring in a lot of ideas about persuasion. Persuasion, which says that what we're doing is not violent. It's really absolutely necessary. We're not telling lies. They're telling lies.
1: When the US entered the war in 1941, FDR and his advisors quickly recognized they had to counteract their enemies' propaganda with their own messaging, which wasn't really a straightforward task.
4: The question comes up how do we differentiate between persuasion of public opinion and propaganda?
1: Roosevelt's team answered that question like this While our enemies use their radio programming, i.e., propaganda, To appeal to people's irrationalities, their fears and their confusions, the U.S. government would use information and the radio to appeal to people's rationalities.
4: However, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky.
1: Because what's rational and factual in one country isn't necessarily rational and factual to another. But this is what the U.S. set out to do during World War II. And in 1942, Roosevelt established the Office of War Information. Its goal was to inform the public domestically and abroad with rational coverage of events. This is the office that popularized iconic American images like Rosie the Riveter and circulated Uncle Sam's call to arms. Also, it adopted and nurtured Voice of America. The first Voice of America broadcast was to Germany in
5: 1942.
2: This is a voice speaking from America. A voice from America at war. Our voices are coming to you from
6: New York, across the Atlantic Ocean to London.
1: Voice of America would report the United States account of the news.
2: The news may be good or bad. We shall tell you the truth.
1: After the Allies' victory, Voice of America's work continued. In the early years of the Cold War, President Truman, President Eisenhower and Congress ramped up spending and expanded Voice of America's bureaus across the world. At the same time, the CIA established Radio Free Europe, which was originally just a network of radio stations broadcasting to Soviet satellite countries that aired Americanized news and culture shows. Radio Free Europe would later expand onto other continents and be renamed Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty or RFE RL. Originally, the network wasn't directly overseen by the president like Voice of America was, but it couldn't escape Washington's influence. Eisenhower's famous Crusade for Freedom, an international propaganda campaign against communism, helped fundraise more than a million dollars for RFE RL.
0: American imperialism among its brethren is just its matchless arrogance and greed, its unceremonious ignorance of moral and legal norms, and of international public opinion, when the interests of big business are concerned.
6: This is the official view of America, which for more than a decade the regime, radio and press have presented to the people of Eastern Europe. This is the version taught in the schools, and this is the version that would eventually be accepted as true, if
4: we allow it to stand unchallenged.
6: But it is challenged. We challenge it by building and supporting Radio Free Europe.
1: Voice of America and RFERL successfully beamed into millions of Soviet households from their transmitters in Munich.
4: It's got that advantage, that technological advantage, but also it was a very tightly organized um, operation to try to homogenize what was being delivered, also to be able to coordinate it with U.S. policy. That last bit is important.
1: As time passed, there were some structural changes to how Voice of America and RFERL were overseen by the government. Eisenhower, in 1953, created the U.S. Information Agency and placed Voice of America under its purview. Though Voice of America claimed to be an objective and factual news organization, the U.S. Information Agency coordinated closely with the Secretary of State. And this is the era of the Vietnam War, of LBJ's Hearts and Minds campaign.
0: It is a question of
4: heart and mind.
1: A foreign policy strategy developed to cultivate popular support for America's war effort among the Vietnamese. Appealing to people's highest ideals was key. By 1994, Voice of America was spreading news in 46 languages. RFERL was doing the same in 19. And that year, an editorial firewall was established. It was intended as, quote, an essential guarantee of journalistic credibility, end quote. On paper, the firewall prohibited interference from any U.S. government official in the independent reporting of news. But by that time, even as the Cold War was winding down, The government was pumping more than a billion dollars into the U.S. Information Agency every year. And a Harvard professor named Joseph Nye, riffing on the ideas of Edward Bernays, coined a new term, soft power.
2: The ability to get what you want through attraction and persuasion is soft power.
1: That influenced communication in Washington and around the world.
2: If a country has a culture which is attractive to others, it may make other countries more willing to hear its views or to sympathize with its views.
1: Politicians really latched to this idea of soft power after 9-11.
2: The Senate Foreign Relations Committee heard testimony Wednesday on U.S. policy towards Afghanistan.
1: In 2002, Joe Biden, who was then a senator, presided over a hearing about Afghanistan.
0: Bill,
2: hear him, please come to order?
1: Deputy Secretary of State Richard Armitage, a close colleague of Joseph Nye, spoke about what the U.S. was up to in Afghanistan, not just militarily, but culturally as well.
4: In terms of public diplomacy, I'm kind of happy with our story. In the last four months, we've increased uh, radio-free Afghanistan uh, broadcasting to seven hours a day. Uh, You've got um, Voice of America up from 2.5 to 6.0 hours a day. We've got two transmitters being built, which will provide 24 seven coverage for radio, which is the means of of uh, expression uh, in Afghanistan.
1: That year, a journalist named Andres Ilvez was hired to direct RFERL's new station, Radio Free Afghanistan.
6: After 9-11, it was quickly decided that what was necessary was to actually have, well, something along the lines of a Radio Free Afghanistan for the Afghan people.
1: It was known as Radio Azadi or Freedom Radio in Pashto. It provided westernized news in Dari and Pashto, which are Afghanistan's two official languages. And it filled a market gap at a critical point.
6: What was new about this was to actually start an Afghan radio that was really for the people of Afghanistan. And that's kind of unique in many ways, uh, even in international broadcasting, that your premise would be that you're broadcasting to a country. And that, of course, uh, in Afghanistan means broadcasting in those two languages.
1: Radio Azadi's mission was to report the news and spread the values of a free press to a country that struggled to maintain an independent journalism industry
6: it really has come to be known by many people as the de facto national radio of afghans i've seen even video clips where somebody's going to somebody and saying to a passerby and saying oh well i'm i'm from you know radio oh are you with azadi everybody knows it
1: radio azadi and voice of americas afghanistan service kept audiences informed throughout the war They trained local journalists and sent them out to report across the country on elections, human rights abuses, and religious
3: radicalism.
6: According
1: to a recent report, more than 6 million people tune into Radio Azadi each week. Nearly 10 million watch Voice of America's Afghanistan service. But as time has gone on, members of Congress, both Republicans and Democrats, have started to question how the whole operation works. Not just RFERL and Voice of America, but the soft power machine overseeing it all. The U.S. Agency for Global Media. Mm.
0: Sorry, it's a little echoey in here.
1: <laughs> this is Dan Robinson.
0: Yeah, let me uh, turn down the heat in here.
1: <laughs> he lives with his wife in Maryland, not far from his former employer in D.C., Voice of America. Dan joined Voice of America in 1979 as a reporter fresh out of college. He stayed there for three decades. In
0: 1983, I was appointed East Africa Bureau Chief. And then Washington, back in Washington from 86 to 92. 92 to 96 as Southeast Asia Bureau Chief. 1997, uh, became head of uh, VOA's Burmese service.
1: And starting in 2010, Dan served as Voice of America's chief White House correspondent until he retired in 2014. He's still a journalist in his free time. He's freelance for CJR. But instead of doing investigations on behalf of the U.S. Agency for Global Media, he does investigations about them. Dan writes for a watchdog website called USAGM Watch.
0: This is the only federal agency that has had this watchdog function being carried out by citizen journalists.
1: Dan claims that since the early days of his career, he has witnessed the government attempt to interfere with Voice of America's reporting.
0: You know, with frequent moments that I observed when the, the VOA News Division had to face off with ambassadors or the State Department over certain content.
1: And... Over time, the government influence intensified.
0: Post 9/11, with such a momentous event, um, there was bound to have be ripple effects for you know America's foreign-directed, taxpayer-funded media. There was clearly pressure from the George W. Bush administration that uh, filtered down. At uh, one point, uh, just to cite one example, there was a push to ensure that individual correspondent reports always and fully reflected the official administration line
1: one day a message arrived in dan's email inbox
0: i remember the specific email almost like it was yesterday it basically called for correspondence to put in the actual state department guidance into the correspondent reports you know it it was clear to everyone what was happening Uh, And for many, many people at at VOA who had been there for decades, it was kind of, oh, here we go again.
1: In Dan's view, the editorial firewall created back in 94, which was supposed to protect reporting from political interference by the people who controlled their purse strings, was being challenged. And Dan wasn't alone. Congress pushed for some structural reforms. With President Obama's approval... Congress consolidated the board that oversaw Voice of America and RFERL into a single CEO position to be appointed by the sitting president. In 2020, Donald Trump's appointee, Michael Pack, cleaned house. Concerns are being raised
5: about the political independence of the U.S. Agency for Global Media after all four network heads were fired on Wednesday. President Trump nominated conservative documentary filmmaker Michael Pack. Pack has previously worked with former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon, who in 2018 called Voice of America, quote, totally controlled by the deep state
4: apparatus. PAC ignored a subpoena from lawmakers who today expressed bipartisan concern that he has politicized and mismanaged media outlets that helped the U.S. win the Cold War. Later, investigative
1: reports by the Office of the Inspector General and the Government Accountability Office, requested by Democrats and Republicans, recommended additional firewalls and structural changes to USAGM. The agency organized a town hall meeting for staff to focus on strengthening the editorial firewall.
2: Our firewall prevents and is meant to prevent the White House, State Department, Pentagon,
6: Congress, in fact, any government agency from dictating to
2: VOA what we should cover, how we should cover it, how we do our programming.
1: Staff members are also now expected to undergo editorial independence training. Still, the parameters of the firewall aren't defined in any legislation. Dan senses that the agency's journalists have always been self-aware about its flaws.
0: You know, <laughs> on the one, on the one hand, you know, I, I recognized it for what it was, and the people who ask me the question, "Were you ever ever interfered with directly in doing your journalistic job at VOA?" Um, my answer. Usually is is no, but just the fact that I was aware of all these other events and the history uh, certainly had an impact on me over the years.
1: Worse, as Dan sees it, USAGM jeopardizes the safety of news reporters and news consumers, many of them not American citizens.
0: They rarely ask the questions that you and I are discussing now, which is the risk to people on the ground, including so the reporters were sent out, like the woman in Kiev who was killed in a missile strike early in the war for Radio Free Europe Liberty, um, you know, really talk about the risks uh, to those folks.
1: In the past five years, four Radio Azadi journalists have been killed in bomb attacks in Afghanistan. In one instance, a reporter named Mohammed Ilyas Dai was a direct target.
3: The last story that he was working on was about a woman. Uh, her name was Nargis. He called me, and he told me that you know there is this story, and I want to talk about this because Taliban have um, captured her house, and they are attacking the Afghan security forces. They are using her house as a shield, uh, and so we agreed. Okay, we will cover the story. But next day he was killed in a car uh, explosion. Some, someone had, you know, planted this bomb in his car. Belly Yee, of
1: the Committee to Protect Journalists says that her organization has been documenting attacks similar to the one in Afghanistan for years. But the risks are intensifying. Since the photo couple, we've seen the press freedom situation in Afghanistan has gone from bad to worse. It is now one of the most dangerous places to report from in the world. We see... A lot of cases about journalists who have been arrested or detained just because they were doing their job, you know. But we're also seeing instances where journalists are, are being held for 30 hours, being given electric shocks, being beaten up with iron rocks, very physical violence. Gradually, the journalist of Voice of America and RFERL watched the Taliban seize control.
2: Prior to the collapse of the of the government, we were uh, reporting from almost every province. And so they were really seeing increased pressures.
1: That's Jamie Fly, the president of RFERL.
2: I noticed both from what I heard from the teams when I did town halls with them, but we also could see it online, the uptick in harassment of journalists, of Afghan journalists, even online by Taliban-linked accounts. So throughout 21, yeah, you could tell that the situation was worsening. We were constantly moving people around, trying to get them to safety, whether it was in Kabul or outside of the country. What still caught people by surprise was how rapidly they were able to take over.
1: When Kabul fell to the Taliban, Voice of America and RFERL employees hoped that they would be evacuated but many of the Afghan employees weren't US citizens or green card holders. They didn't have passports. Their spouses didn't have passports, and their kids didn't have passports. So they were left behind. Here's Dan again.
0: That story as it first played out was one where you saw the agency both crying out for help, please, 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 what what happens to all these people and crying out to the State Department, basically blaming the State Department for Whatever problems resulted in the inability to get government journalists out, those were the headlines. U.S. leaves journalists behind.
1: I asked Yolanda Lopez, the director of Voice of America, how they prepared their employees for the evacuation, since they must have known the Taliban's takeover was coming. Specifically, how much notice did they give these families?
6: Uh, That, I don't know. I don't know how... how, um... I think that we have always been telling them what was uh, uh, needed. It's just that um, I I really don't know if the the timeline we did uh, tell them, you know, always to to be ready. VOA
1: later said they started telling their Afghanistan-based journalists to complete immigration evacuations in June of 2021, but that ultimately Their staff wasn't deemed eligible for evacuation until nearly two weeks after the fall of Kabul. Neither Voice of America nor RFERL have reported how many of their journalists and stringers remain in the country for security reasons, their press people said. Jamie Fly shared this.
2: I would just say, if I could, and I'm happy to say this on the record, and we're very appreciative that so many people have been resettled, but there's still many, many more, including of our current staff and then hundreds more of our former staff. Uh, We remain incredibly frustrated that the, the pace of the relocations of our remaining Afghan staff to the U.S. has been so slow. This is something that's entirely out of our control because it's ultimately a U.S. government process
1: Those living in Afghanistan face similar threats to people in Iran, Ukraine, and elsewhere. From the perspective of RFERL and Voice of America, danger isn't a deterrent. It's the reason for their presence. And yet, Voice of America and RFERL have been around for decades. Authoritarianism remains a threat to journalists, to everyone. And in some places where America has invested the most soft power, authoritarianism has only gotten stronger. It's not clear that the mission of these U.S. funded outlets can ever be achieved. Afghanistan is a notoriously complicated society. This is Hannah Gurman, a professor at NYU who studies the history and politics of U.S. foreign relations. She's taken a critical look at U.S. hearts and minds campaigns, including in Afghanistan. And she's skeptical of the soft power we are using there. It's really difficult to
5: kind of disentangle who it is you're influencing away from what and toward what.
1: And also, what for? Because when you zoom out and see how these news organizations fit into America's foreign policy agenda, the mission becomes murky the U.S.
5: tends to put things in moral frameworks that is often a distortion of what they're actually doing. A lot of critics concluded that what we were really doing there has much more to do with power politics than moral influence. It was always wrong. It's always a distortion. It's always obscuring the actual violence of U.S. power in these places. It's always propaganda. There are good people who try to do good things, but the whole ideology that's backing it and the way that it's backed by, you know, sort of national security type journalists, they were wrong in the Cold War. They were they were wrong in 2001 and they're wrong now.
1: Voice of America and Radio Azadi have adapted to life under the Taliban. In 2021, Voice of America ramped up programming aired on local TV affiliates, which means wider reach.
6: Uh, We continue to what we call flood the zone.
1: That's the chief of the Afghanistan service at Voice of America, Hasee Balakozi. Voice of America also launched a direct-to-home satellite channel to help them avoid being cut off when the Taliban blacked out their programming on the local TV networks.
6: We were... Uh, Predicting that to happen, we took, uh, uh, you know, we exhausted all our remedies and we prepared for it.
1: And Voice of America has educated its audiences about how to get around Taliban-imposed blackouts.
6: And the circumvention data that we have suggests that there's an uptick in people's usage. They can continue to not only tune into VOA's various platforms, but also any other website that's blocked by uh, local authorities.
1: And both Haseeb and Andres Ilves, who had been Radio Azadi's first director and now runs media operations across the Near East region, take particular pride in their call-in shows, which help hold the Taliban accountable.
6: They are now the de facto functioning government that has to deliver services. People are going to call in to us and say, I want to know why I don't have any water. What's the story? So they do that in a voice note to us. They do that in a call-in show and so on. And that, that is uh, something that's really important that we offer is that, that forum for people to talk about that.
1: Radio Azadi also increased the number of call-in shows targeting women, including the ones Malali talked about earlier. The Taliban has retaliated, and I'm updating myself here to make this clearer by permanently shutting down Radio Azadi and Voice of America's transmitters.
6: They probably would have been pleased if we didn't have female voices on air, whether it's staff or, or callers or so on. But we absolutely were never going to buckle to that. Um, they might be happy if we didn't broadcast music. There was no way that uh, we were not going to broadcast music. So in when people ask, has the program changed, um, on the one... on the, The one hand, yes, is in we have a greater need that that needs our different needs, certainly, uh, but arguably a greater need as well that we're serving. But at the same time, some things have not changed if it meant changing our editorial values just because the Taliban are
0: in power. It's obviously the role of the United States to support and promote the principles upon which we live our way of life, so to speak. First Amendment freedoms are part of that way of life. So, you know, are you going to say that person in in Taliban Afghanistan doesn't deserve to have our information? No, God forbid. There's kind of no way to get away from that. The question in my mind, and I've been thinking about this for many years, is should we be doing this in ways that place people at risk? Despite the controversies, VOA has a long history of solid and admirable journalistic uh, accomplishments and endeavors by, by its correspondent corps. But, but there are, have been examples where people have been injured, killed, and disappeared because they were consuming this, this kind of information. A primary example of that today is North Korea, where you can be executed in five seconds for having listened to Radio Free Asia or a VOA. Iran has frequently accused dissidents uh, and people, it's arrested, of assisting the BBC and VOA. And I would wager that if something does happen to any of these people, you're unlikely to hear about it.
1: Dan has lost some of his closest friends, his longtime colleagues, over these opinions. But he feels he must remain a watchdog.
0: Really, I feel uh, accomplished um i feel honored to have had the opportunity to play this role uh, which by the way for me was one that i always kind of dreamed about when i was you know 12 years old uh, played this role as a foreign correspondent as a journalist covering international affairs i don't feel any any kind of sorrow but what i do feel is a need to tell the truth just like voa said in 1942 You know, it said the news may be good and the news may be bad, but we're going to tell you the truth.
1: Thank you to Betsy Marais, who edited this story, and Will Tavlin, our fact checker. Music provided by Blue Dot Sessions.